The mystery of the transfiguration presents what had to have been a deeply powerful, moving religious experience for Peter, James, and John, and through them, for the church. To put what they experienced in context, we need to go back a couple thousand of thousands of years to Moses. Moses was up on Mount Sinai continuing to receive the Torah, the law from God. We all think he just went up once and that was it. No, actually, we think he went up, the text seemed to indicate he went up at least eight times that we know of. And he also, in this particular case, was, we had received detailed instructions on building the tent of meeting, the prototype of the temple, and how to worship. Six chapters alone are dedicated on how to worship God. And Moses had been absent now for 40 days, and the people down in the camp were restless. They abandoned the truth, the covenants they had made with God, and by covering, by made, carving an image of a calf and then covering it over with gold. This was to be their God. God was furious. He sent Moses down to the camp. Moses descended into the chaos of religion not rooted in truth. That to worship the true God, one must sacrifice all the false gods that we so easily create for ourselves. He smashed the tablets of the testimony at the base of Mount Sinai. He destroyed the idol, burning it, and he ordered that all the people were to drink its ashes. And then he ordered those loyal to God to slaughter the idolaters, some 3,000 men, according to the text. Moses then went back up Mount Sinai to receive again from God the tablets of the testimony. When he returned, he was unaware that his face had glowed brilliantly. And the people were afraid of him, so much so he had to hide his face behind a veil. Moses' brilliant face came from intimacy with God, fidelity to God. The veil represented the darkness of the people who rejected the light of God for the dim light of an idol. They were frightened by the truth. In the mystery of the transfiguration, Jesus always one in being with the Father, descended from heaven in the mystery of the Incarnation, which we commonly call... Oh, you know, I'm going to lock the doors of, these, of this church until you all get this thing. It begins with C and ends with M, S, and it begins on, on December 25th. So the Feast of the Incarnation is also called... Oh, thank you, Jesus. All right. This is one of the reasons why we're in such a terrible shape, you know. A lot of people don't know the most fundamental aspects of their faith. So in the mystery of the transfiguration, we have the word who became flesh and dwelt among us. Choosing only Peter, James, and John, they ascended up a mountain. And there Jesus did not merely reflect the light of God as did Moses. Jesus radiated from within his being the light 
he has always shared with his father from the beginning the light that is his divine nature. What Moses had was a reflection of what God gave him. What Jesus had was what he always had as one in being with the Father. And so powerful is this light of his divine nature, it radiated through his skin, even his clothing, making it a brilliant white. It had to have been an incredible thing to witness. Of the three disciples, only Peter spoke during this experience, requesting Jesus' permission to build what we, our translation says three tents. It does, the, the Greek is not tent at all. The Greek means booth. One for Jesus, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Were Peter's words the ramblings of one caught up in an extremely intense religious experience? I don't think so. Peter was beginning to grasp the truth of who Jesus was, and that's as exciting as the experience itself. Earlier in the Gospel, Peter was graced by God to declare that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God. But what quickly happened as soon as Peter said that? All you Bible-reading Christians, what happened? I'm not saying another word till someone responds. Yes! What happens is that, Jesus, that Peter immediately just denies that Jesus should go to the cross. And so Jesus had to turn and say, be, get behind me, Satan. You're thinking not as God does, but as man does. He was trying to discourage the Lord from following the path to the what? Begins with C and ends with S. You know, I'm going to put an espresso station at the front of the church, I think. The cross. In asking to build three booths, in Hebrew, Sukkot, Peter, as a Jew, drew connections between his experience of the transfiguration and one of the three great Jewish pilgrimage feasts, the Feast of Sukkot, the Feast of Booths. Observed in the fall, it was a seven-day feast that celebrated the end of the harvest, and each family was to live in what's called a sukkah, a temporary shelter that, according to the tradition, was to have only two and a half walls. It was to remind the people of their 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, having only temporary shelters. It was, a, it, is, was it still is today, a very joyful feast that took place immediately after another feast, the Feast of Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement in which one had his, his or her sins forgiven. But Peter also knew the Feast of Booths stood for something else, the coming of the kingdom of the Messiah. Peter was trying to put the transfiguration in the context of his Jewish faith. The light radiating through Jesus was a sign that the coming kingdom of the Messiah was imminent, a time of renewed fellowship with God, that the forgiveness of sins was no longer dependent on the prayers of the high priest, being sprinkled with the blood of sacrificed animals, but it rather it comes through Jesus, who has the power to forgive sins, a power that belongs only to God. Therefore, Jesus is God. 
that the cloud that descended on them was like the cloud of the divine presence that filled the tent of meeting. God had given detailed instructions to Moses to create as the place for worship. That hearing the words of the Father, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased, listen to him, echoed with far greater clarity the voice of God than what the ancient Israelite people heard at the base of Mount Sinai. And Elijah, the prophet, who did not die, but was assumed into heaven. We all think the Blessed Virgin Mary was the first one assumed in heaven. No, she was not. The prophet Elijah was the first. And he represents all who are alive in Jesus. Peter was a Jewish man witnessing the two greatest people of Jewish history, Moses and Elijah, conversing with another Jewish man, Jesus, Yeshua, who's not just a man, but the Son of God, the beloved of the Father, as the Father himself testified, and who radiates the divine nature of the Father. All that is milling around. Despite Peter's experience of the transfiguration and all the proof it offered of Jesus' divinity, we cannot escape the reality that Peter would go on to deny Jesus how many times? Oh, please get this one. Oh, thank you, Lord. Okay. Peter, James, and John, along with the other disciples, would abandon Jesus when he was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. Why? As incredibly glorious and exciting as the mystery of the transfiguration had to have been, it was in the end only, and I say this again, only a religious experience. The emotions, the feelings had not been disciplined by the sacrificial truth of the cross. Jesus warned his disciples three times that he would suffer, be crucified, be buried, and the third day rise. But all went into one ear and out the other. It would take the uncompromisingly harsh reality of the cross before the disciples, the church, would understand the meaning, the purpose, of all the experiences they had with Jesus, all his teachings, all his miracles. The danger inherent in Christianity, I've been a Protestant, now I'm a Catholic, and so I include all Christians regardless. The danger inherent in Christianity is for its adherence to embrace a religious experience, the feelings it generates independent of the sacrificial discipline of the cross. I think all clergy, Catholic, Orthodox, and Protestant, for example, try to help couples preparing to marry to realize what really matters is not the ceremony, but the deeply sacrificial nature of Christian love of spouses to place the needs of the other as more important than one's own, which does not come to us naturally, but it does come to us by grace. 
when parents present their children for a baptism, sometimes they just say, oh, I got to get this done. Oh, dear God in heaven, got to get it done. They have to be reminded that baptism is only the beginning of their child's journey with Jesus in his body, the church. And very often, sacrifices must be made to ensure the child is attending not only religious instruction, but the family is coming to Mass, where the child hears the Word of God. We need to come to Mass, abandoning our own agendas outside, opening ourselves to the transformative love of God. And if we aren't prepared to sacrifice whatever would block us from doing those things, we deprive ourselves of so many graces. And we might not think in those terms, but that does not lessen the truth. Religious experiences that are not disciplined the sacrificial truth of the cross become nothing more than warm, fuzzy feelings, great for the moment, to be sure, but incapable of sustaining us in this pilgrimage we call life.